Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This episode of Garden DC, we're talking to Alan Armitage. He's a professor of horticulture, an industry visionary, garden writer, garden speaker. He has online classes, authored many books, and one of his latest ventures was an app called Armitage's Great Garden Plants. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Kathy. How are you? It's great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. So are you joining us from Athens, Georgia, or are you somewhere else out and about? No, the out and about stuff is not doing real well these days. So I am definitely home, and I am living in beautiful Athens, Georgia, which is in the foothills of the Smokies and uh, where the home of the University of Georgia is. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot. It's winter here, too. It's kind of dreary out there today. But... Uh, Still thinking about all the cool plants we're going to be doing this spring and all the cool people I'm going to be talking to for uh, for a good long time online, I'm afraid. Yeah, unfortunately, but some somewhat fortunately, you get to uh, have some more interaction with people internationally and almost yeah. some more outreach, don't you think? Oh, listen, you know, be, I hope, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about today, Kath. You're going to lead the way and we can talk about every plant known to man. But one of the things that I've really come to to appreciate is you know we're in this horticulture business in this whether it's a vegetable or whether it's a shrub or ornamentals or whatever uh, but the fact is that covid uh, as and believe me i can chat about covid forever but what covid is, has really brought to light is that gardening is essential and, and i don't say that just as sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing Gardening has become essential. We have, like, I mean, we're 16 million new gardeners apparently this year. I mean, gardening businesses are doing just fine, thank you. And it's because gardening, as we all know, <laughs> it's not just fun and colorful and pretty, it's therapeutic. Uh -huh. And boy, if we need one thing uh, this year, it's therapy. And, and I think all these people are coming out of the woodwork, and whether or not they stay with us, we'll find out soon enough. But uh, they're coming out of the woodwork because, hey, they've discovered that an African violet at home is kind of cool, uh, you know, or, or, you know, a tree or a shrub or more. My tomato I actually got the real tomato. So this we are essential. I, and I and I'm proud to say it. And I have I hold my head up high when I say that we are essential. I 100% agree with you there, Alan. So if you heard that background noise, that was a Maine Coon cat jumping on my paperwork and knocking things down. But he agrees He agrees totally that we are essential. Gardening is essential and plants being part of our lives. I mean, we have chlorophyll in our veins, right? You know, and again, it's, it's we kind of used to, you know, I used to always say that you know, we make the world a prettier place, if not a better place. Well, heck, Kathy, we make the world a better place. And it's not like I'm trying to pat myself on the back or any of us. It's just become obvious. And we've always kind of sort of known that, talked to each other very well. But I have no problem telling anybody who asks. <laughs> yes, I am in horticulture. I'm a gardener. 
and come join me because you'll do much better in your life with a with a plant and dirty fingernails uh, than you've done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know what happened that the world forgot, but I'm glad that <laughs> at least what came out of it was that they were reminded, uh, yeah, and that yeah. also beauty has a place. Like I think for so many years, beauty was downplayed or enjoyment was yep. almost like a, a dirty word or something. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting too that you know gardening kind of got this little old lady in a hat pulling weeds vision. You know, it was just you know gardening. I'm a gardener, yada yada, but. Um, not so, not so. I mean, the people that we're talking to, your audience, if they are the crazy people in the mid-Atlantic area, and I know many of them, I mean, it's not like, I hope they have a hat on, but uh, they also know what they're doing. And if they don't know what they're doing, they're quite happy to figure out what they're doing. Uh, you know, this is gardening. It's not brain surgery. We're supposed to have fun. And and I think that if we, if we keep that in mind by not taking ourselves too seriously or what we do too seriously, um, We'll, 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 we'll make the place a much prettier and much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, here on that. I, I, I'm raising my glass of water to you. <laughs> I got a glass of water here, too. We, got, we should have done it at 5 o'clock. Exactly. I was like, next time cocktails. But mm-hmm. uh, this time, um, we'll just have the water and a little bit of sustenance looking out at the garden, even on a dreary winter day. Um, there's still plenty going on out there. And then in the gardening world in general, we just came off of three days of the Mance show, which is the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. And you were part of the perennial farm in that, correct? I, I was, yeah. Uh-huh. So normally you would be flying up here to Baltimore and the, the show, the Mance event takes over the entire Baltimore Convention Center and several local hotels are booked up. All the restaurants are overrun by these uh, plant nerds and garden geeks and landscapers and designers and plant breeders. And it's all all crazy. But this year, obviously, it happened virtually. Uh, How was your experience um, working the virtual show for Perennial Farm? Well, you know, I I think probably Many of those listening uh, have not had the fortune of being able to get to that trade show. Uh, the Mance is certainly one of the major trade shows, and this in this case, in the ornamental plant industry. Uh, there's, there's only two or three. I mean, there's a ton of trade shows and smaller ones, but if you want to see somebody from uh, any state in the Union or Canada or Holland or Germany, you, you'll go to Mance or one in, in Columbus, Ohio in the summer. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we can't see each other because that's truly what is interacting, not just what's the newest plant, gee, what's the newest idea, but how are you? How have you been? What's what's new in your life? And uh, so we think we can do that anyway, but uh, we did the best we can with virtual. And, and it's so wonderful that Mance uh, has... has gone to the trouble and done as much as it can do to keep these things going because we do want to find out what's new. We do want to find out what great ideas or programs are being going on out there. And uh, so I think it was good. I I did my thing. Uh, I, I work with a perennial farm, which is just outside Baltimore. It's a wonderful perennial nursery. Uh, they have an online uh, uh, retail thing as well that you can buy plants from them online but um it, it, you know it's not quite the same as 
looking at, at the audience face to face and telling a bad joke and seeing them cringe. But the fact is, uh, on you know, they're there for a reason. They're, they're there to listen, listen to what's new or what the speaker thinks, and we're able to do that. So I, I was happy with that. I'm, I'm fine with digital. I'd rather be in, in person, but I'm fine. Hmm. And I know that for our listeners and who want to access him, it's not just a generic name, The Perennial Farm. That's the name. <laughs> Capital T, P, and F. So The Perennial Farm. It's perennialfarm.com. Yeah. And they're based in Glen Arm, Maryland. So check that out. And they have links right now to Alan's presentations that were posted on Facebook uh, so that anybody, not just those in the industry, uh, could check out those videos on Facebook. Yeah, they they also have for for the gardeners in the audience who are looking for you know I hope you'll everybody who buys a plant will will buy local go to your garden centers uh, help them out as much as you can you'll find good help good people there but if you're looking for online source uh, it's called the perennial farm marketplace dot com and that's an online source for the plants that the perennial farm sells. So, you know, there's another source for you to find good plants. And so I know one of the most popular lines with the perennial farm is the deer, I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> I know you <laughs> Deer lyrious. I almost said deerlicious, which would be the opposite, right, of what they're intending. Yeah. So the deer lyrious uh, plants line or plants that deers don't like to eat. Um, it says here. Well, um, it, it is. It is called Delirious, and it's it's a program. Well, well, let's let's just do this deer thing because every one of your listeners has deer issues. I I guarantee that, and you know, Kathy, if you go out to speak to a group, the first, second, or third question you're going to get is, "What about deer?" I, mm -hmm. it's a guaranteed question. And you know, we can we can know, click our nails and bite our fingers and all those kind of things about deer. Or we can, you know, try to try to understand the problem. So there's a ton of plants that that, that deer are not going to eat immediately. <laughs> if you put a hosta out, they're going to eat it. I don't even care if they're hungry or not. They're going to eat it. Um, if you put a verbena out or a lantana out, they're not going to eat it. Um, so there's a whole lot of in-betweens. And so the Deerlerius program, you'll see that mostly at uh, garden centers, you know, independent garden centers. They have these programs where they have whole benches of plants for the sun or plants for the shade that deer won't eat. And there are a lot more than you think. I mean, if you've got a herd of deer in your backyard, I build a fence. But, you know, if you've got two or three that are coming through all the time and your garden isn't too big, there are lots of ways in which you can reduce the problem with deer. And, and, and people give me heck all the time, you know. It's just, they're just there all the time, these deer. But the fact is there are decent you know, deer repellents if you have a small garden. Um, there are lots of selection you can do. And you say, well, how do I know? Well, and again, if you don't mind me saying, I developed this app called Armitage of Great Garden Plants that you mentioned. And every single plant on that app has a deer browsing and, in fact, a rabbit browsing rating as well. So if there's a... If, if there's a, a browsing rating of five, like a hosta, you know, just beware. If it's a browsing rating of one or two, you know, you're, you're, you're a little bit better off. So that, that's, that's the deal. But, but the perennial farm has come up with a really kind of really cool program. And based on research, may I, not just sort of somebody who thinks that a deer isn't going to eat it, but uh, research based uh, from university trials. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that it's rated. It's not just 
deer do or don't because we all know <laughs> that they're living beings and they all have different taste buds or mama deer taught her little does something else than the other band of deer that live by you have learned so things change also well i'm sure you've had lots of people on the on your on your podcast with about deer and stuff and the fact is it's with us and we just have to deal with it or or stick our head in the sand or or you know just not even care but the fact is there are ways to deal with it i'm quite you know whenever i talk anywhere I, i i say hey it's a problem but we can do something about it or at least we can try so it's not the end of the world. Exactly. No reason to give up your entire garden no, just because a little bit of nimbles. So on um, a lighter note, I wanted to talk a little bit about Dr. Alan Armitage's journey into plants. So <laughs> were you born with um, oh, chlorophyll in your veins or did you jump out with some seeds in your hand and sprinkle okay. them around the room? Okay. All right. Look, at I got to tell you some things here. And you're going to laugh and you're going to say, oh, this guy's really nuts. Uh, and I'm also, <laughs> if, you, if you really want to know, I can really give you some specifics. But the fact is, no, I, I didn't have a grandmother that patted me on the head. I didn't have parents that loved gardening. I don't know. Well, I do know what kind of where it started, but it's certainly, I went through high school without ever picking up a plant. I went to college, undergrad college in Canada. And I did study botany, at least I got studied plants, but hmm. nothing to do with gardening. I was studying the science of botany and nothing to do with, I didn't even take a horticultural class in college. And uh, so, how, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to keep this real short, but one of the things that did happen is that I took a job in college and I, <laughs> I can't make this up. I was a grave digger. Uh, so, this was back when you literally dug a grave. I didn't even use a backhoe at that time. Wow. Uh, a big hole, I want to tell you. But in Canada, at least where I lived in, in, in Montreal area, when you say constant care in a cemetery, it doesn't mean just cutting the grass. What it means is that the grave site, the dirt, is planted in a garden. So we had a little greenhouse at this at this cemetery. And we planted, you know, ajugas and, and little alternantheras and colorful things. And we made a garden, at least a beautiful setting on that dirt. And, and so I'm, I'm going to finish this up in a minute. I, I'm sorry. So one day, hot, yeah, it does, every now and then even Montreal gets hot. Uh, it was hot. I was tired. It was around five o'clock. And I was trying to get out of there. But there was a group, a family, a grieving family coming up the hill to visit their newly buried um, father. And, uh, you know, they were really upset, of course. And when they came to this gravesite, Kathy, they, they, they just stopped and just smiled as best as one who was grieving can smile. They looked, they chatted, they said, this is lovely. And behind that tree, I said something. I was a little slow. I still am. Something said, hmm. Maybe this garden thing, you know, is there's more to it than what I, I think. And that was a first little click. And it took me another bunch of years before it ever fell in place. But that was my first click as a grave digger, planting graves, that I realized how people appreciate beauty and, uh, and just taking a little care. 
Wow. <laughs> I can't say I know anybody else with that origin, but starting with the soil, there's there's something there. There's something there. And and it just it was just such a such a kind of a little light bulb coming off in my head. It it, it quickly went out again and I had but it was it did come on. And and in fact if, if anybody truly is interested in, in this, you and you asked the story, I was challenged. In fact, by the people at the perennial farm, because I tell stories all the time when I'm giving talks, not just about myself, but just about all, all sorts of stuff. And they challenged me to write a book, uh, a small book about how I got from there to here. And it's on my website. It's called It's Not Just About the Hat. And uh, so you can read my, my graveyard stories, among other things, uh, as well. But uh, so that's how I guess I, that's, that's probably the beginning. It, it took a while to, to gel, but that's how the beginning. Hmm. And then what was your next step to become well, a professional in horticulture? You know, so I was a high school teacher uh, after I, now I was, so hmm. I have just recently, by the way, my wife and I, a year and a half, two years ago, we've been in the United States over 35 years, uh, but we're Canadian. And uh, just recently, a year and a half or so ago, we became citizens. So you now have us forever. Uh, we have dual citizenship, of course, but what we did is we were citizens so that we could do what everybody does that we should do, and that's vote. And so, in fact, this whole last crazy, crazy craziness, we were able to exercise um, our ability to vote. So when I talk about my time in Canada, it's because that's where I grew up. I've been here for many, many years. But So to get to where I am, uh, I was a high school teacher in, in the Montreal area. And I taught math and, and uh, biology. Uh, but I also just, I don't know why, Kathy, I just happened to like this stuff. I like getting some tulips and putting them in the ground in the fall. I, I like putting some petunias or in, in, you know, lily of the valleys into, my, into the garden in our little house that we had. And all of a sudden, people were asking me, <laughs> what do I put in? And I kind of figured it out. And so all of a sudden, uh, I was doing a little bit of gardening, not for people, but at least helping them out. And then in the summer times, as a high school teacher, I had the summers off. <laughs> I did that thing that people, uh, the professionals really hate. I bought a little red truck and I got a shovel and a wheelbarrow and away I went. I became a landscaper. <laughs> so that, that, you know, in my summertime. And again, I, I, I just, I'm not really, well, I come to talk about myself, but they're funny stories because I, I, I smile when I think about them. But I hired in, in Montreal, and I there was only two peop, two groups of people that were in the landscape business. One were French, and the others were Italian. My name is Armitage, but in Quebec, it's pronounced Armitage. And I work with my buddy, Louis Santini. Now, he couldn't speak a word of Italian, but it didn't really matter. We were, we were, we were off to the races, and we started doing things in the summer, and one thing led to another, and eventually... Uh, and it's all in a crazy book. Things are going crazy in Montreal area. So it was time to make a decision. And after seven, eight years of teaching high school, which I truly loved, I love teachers and I love high school teaching. Uh, it was time to make a decision. That's when I decided to get into horticulture. I'm sure that teaching pro uh, experience, you know, still works today and still comes through, oh. I think, in a lot of your talks and things. Yeah. And yeah, I think once a teacher, always a teacher. But but that summer off, those summers off, sure help. Yeah. <laughs> it helped, but it was coming. And what was happening is, 
you know, you got a job or two and then all of a sudden had more. And over the years I was doing, you know, I, the gardening was starting to interfere with the teaching. I had to make a decision. And the decision was a little easier than you would think just because of various things going on in the in the province at that time. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, not in my wildest dreams. I ever think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. And I think that's a great lesson for all of those who have come later to gardening or didn't grow up in a gardening household that, you know, you don't have to be born with a, a garden hoe in your hand, so to speak. And you don't have to have land that you cultivated as a child, although that's a common story of, of having a little childhood plot or something. But, you know, nobody was born knowing everything. No. <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> nobody will die knowing everything either. So exactly. Let's just enjoy what we can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, looking at your long list of books, I'm just scrolling through Amazon for some of the titles. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of listeners out there have several of your titles on their bookshelf um, from your manual of annuals and biennials and half-hearty perennials to herbaceous perennial plants to vines and climbers and then of course you came out a few years ago with a really fun book of naked ladies and forget-me-nots mm-hmm. the stories behind the common names of some of your favorite plants um so that i imagine is from some of your storytelling passions yeah um again i i well now i i again i make no excuses or make uh I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm a writer. I, I, I love what I do. And I just happen to, and of course, if you're a university professor, you better be a writer. But in, in the writing I've done with the books, of course, that all just sort of came out of, I just enjoy writing. And my very first book, I think, was 60 pages. And it was all about, you know, it was all about how to grow stuff in a greenhouse because I was in the greenhouse side of the research. And so many of my original books were just for greenhouse operators or truly just the just the professionals. And then I started my my book on herbaceous perennial plants. I don't know, 1989, 19, I don't know when it was, but uh, you know that was the first. Well, I won't say the first. It was one of the books that people uh, really enjoyed because I got right down to the nitty gritties. I was opinionated plus talking about cultivars that worked. And that was the first edition and just, what, uh, two, three months ago, the fourth edition has appeared. And it's bigger, better, and truly um, more inclusive. And it's written not just for you, Kathy, and not just for the craziest gardener out there in the mid-Atlantic area. It's also written for my neighbors, my daughters, and anybody who um, who likes plants because it's it's not Hopefully it's not too dry anyway. But anyway, so the, the Naked Lady book, that was great. That's probably the bestseller just because it's an inexpensive book, but it's just fun. I mean, who was Joe Pye? I mean, good grief. Why are carrots said to be good for your eyes? What's a dog would got to do with dogs? So, you know, where do these names actually come from? So that, that's been a fun book. And they're all they're all available, by the way, for anybody who's interested. On my website, you can go through Amazon by all means. But they're not any uh, cheaper or any better there. And if <laughs> if you really want to lose value on the book, I can sign it and personalize it for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the website is just my name, alanarmitage.net. And uh, you can do that there. Like. Great. And we'll put a link to that in the podcast notes so everybody can uh, go straight there as well. 
And so that brings us to plants mm. and plant obsessions and new plants. So is there a such thing as a brand new, we always talk about new plants on the market, but are we just talking about improvements or tweaks or are we talking about some really cool brand new stuff? Well, if you're talking about, you know, today, you know, as in here we are today, you know, I just gave a talk on new plants that the perennial farm is introducing and, and other companies were doing the same thing, talking about their new plants. So certainly um, there's a, there's a bunch of new plants to, and to, to be more direct, to answer your question, most are improvements or hopefully they're improvements. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not so sure about that, but uh, you know, nobody ever heard of Caliber Cola when it was first introduced, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Nobody ever heard of that thing. Nobody ever heard of Scavola when it was first introduced. Uh, I mean, you know, even even some of the some of the new hybrids of Digiplexus and all that kind of stuff. Nobody ever heard of those, even though maybe they're they're a little suspect in their breeding. The fact is, there are new, brand new things, but those are few and far between. Uh, you know, if you go to, and I'm very fortunate, and Catherine, I don't know if you've been there, but if you go to California in the spring, they have this, uh, essentially, it's called the California Spring Trials. Um, and uh, all the new, all the breeders, at least ornamentals and shrubs and some veggies, are showing off their new stuff. And it's, again, it's for the growers and the major retailers. And so if you see that, I'll show you, if you come with me, I'll show you, uh, you know, three, <laughs> I'll show you 30 new petunias. Uh, I'll show you, you know, a, a dozen, oh heck, I'll show you more than that, um, you know, new zinnias or marigolds or whatever else. But they're all a little bit better. They're all trying to be a little bit better than what was there before. But there are a lot of new plants, to be sure. I mean, a lot of fun plants that uh, I really get excited about and I'm really, really love to trial them which I do as much as I can here. Hmm. And what are some of your favorites for that would be maybe hitting the garden centers this coming well, spring? Okay. Let, let, let's do the absolute favorite that's been hitting the garden center for a few years. They just keep getting better. And that's, that's the Lenten roses or hellebores. So the hellebores, um, if, if, and again, maybe it's just because I'm biased and I, and I just think they're so useful. Remember, and, and again, I shouldn't say why I'm saying remember, in my opinion, most gardeners, and even the ones who are listening here, most gardeners, and certainly their friends, go into the garden center not necessarily looking for any particular cultivar, new plant, maybe not even a particular plant at all. They're looking for solutions to their garden problems. They're looking for the plants that have fragrance because their grandmother had plants that had fragrance. They're looking for plants that we already mentioned deer don't eat. They're looking for plants that attract pollinators. So uh, they're, 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 the whole solution gardening, again, is, is my, my passion. I truly believe that everybody in this industry ought to understand that most people are going for solutions, not plants. But having said that, it's the plant that, <laughs> that takes care of the, of the problem. So hellebores are one of those things. I can talk about the beauty of hellebores till I'm red in the face. I love them. But not only are they beautiful, they're so functional. They tolerate shade, and I'm going to get to the to the new stuff in a minute. They tolerate shade. The deer don't eat them unless they are absolutely starving. They have flowers now that stand straight up so you can see them, and many of the newer ones have extraordinary foliage 
that's either glossy green or even variegated that stay looking good all season. So, you know, if you said, is there anything new? That, I mean, it's just exploded in the last five years, the breeding. All hellebores, hellebores orientalis, which is most of what your group has, are, were all seed propagated. And you never quite knew what you were going to get. So this is a huge breakthrough, certainly for landscapers, certainly for gardeners and designers. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't, and it's called, by the way, the ones that are variegated, if you go to your local garden center, just ask for the Frost Kiss series. Frost Kiss. And if you can't find them, again, Prendell Farm Marketplace has them. And there's a ton of them. There's a ton of others. That, that, that's those are the ones I can mention in the time we have. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the Frost Kiss are just incredible, just the foliage themselves. Mm. Um, but I've also, uh, in the talk, today um was hearing that they're sterile that they don't seed around right, exactly. and that's one complaint the only complaint i guess i've heard about hellebores well it's interesting one person's garbage another man's treasure i guess uh, i think that's a good trait uh the fact that they aren't reseeding means that the flowers are persisting longer they're not going to seed plants that go to seed you know tend to do that and so the flower itself goes through the various evolution to produce seed and 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 doesn't look as good for as long a period of time. I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing, this is by you're, you're uh, you know, and I mentioned frost kiss. There's one called ice and roses, ices, ice and roses. There's a whole bunch of newer ones out there, gold series, that are as you say sterile. But that's the least of the problems because the flowers are upright, the foliage is good, and they're a designer's dream. They're a landscaper's dream in that this is a design. This is a this is a true plant for the garden as opposed to as a ground cover. Uh, I love Orientalis. Believe me, there's still lots and lots of room for the good old Hellebores Orientalis. It seeds everywhere. <laughs> In fact, as fortunate as I am, it's one of my worst weeds around here. I can't get rid of the darn stuff. There's so many of them. But, um, you know, they do the job. They're, they're essentially a great ground cover. But these new ones, to me, sterile or not, are, are just, that's not a complaint. And if they're, since they're not seed propagated, is that what's called tissue culture yeah. or clonal? Yeah, they're clonal. And clonal just means that whether it's a cutting or, or it's a vegetative, a vegetative means rather than a, a, a sexual means, i.e. seed. Uh, so all the hellebores you're getting today are all tissue cultures. They're all essentially started in a lab somewhere. Uh, and, and, you know, you can divide them as a gardener. But you're not going to be able to take cuttings or anything like that from a, from any from any hellebore for that matter. Uh, so that's why they're more expensive. Um, one of the reasons they're more expensive is there is a there's a lot more to do that, to get these things ready. But having said that, well, <laughs> you'll spend the same amount of money at a burger doodle you're going to spend on a frost kiss, and it's going to be a whole heck of a lot better for you. So. Um, yeah, yeah, they're all they're all clonal. They're all so that does bring up plant breeding and and how plants are brought to market. And yeah. so some of these new hellebores, this can take a decade or more before you've got a selection that is ready for the market. Are you involved in that trialing and that process? Oh, well, I, of course, you mentioned I'm at the University of Georgia. I'm a I, I retired from the university, and I recommend retirement to anybody who's a gardener. But the fact is that uh, I. I started the whole trial program at the University of Georgia. Uh, we looked at every plant known to man almost because we had every company who wanted to put the plants in the garden so I could look at them and talk to people like you about them. 
so yeah, I very much, and I'm still involved in the trialing process. Uh, heck, I trial stuff at home uh, just because, eh, you know, not that I know anything, but every now and then people think that people listen to me. So they send me some plants so I can say good things if they're any good. Uh, and, and certainly the hellebores have been something I've seen, I've been looking at for a long time. And, um, but plant breeding, you know, hellebores are, you know, as I say, they're tissue culture and all, but there's a lot of plants that are still bred the old fashioned way, you know, a seed and put it on the pistol and, you know, let it make a, or excuse me, the pollen, put it on a pistol and make it a seed and then collect the seeds and see what you have. There's still a lot of that done, but it does take time. There is no doubt that anything you see, and especially anything you see called an F1 hybrid, there's a lot of breeding going into that. And some of the ones that are being developed today are either in, a, you know, a purposeful selection, say you start, I don't know, a thousand hydrangea right. or a thousand hellebore or whatever it might be. And then over several years, you're looking for traits going out in the growing field and looking at these um, and saying nope mm -hmm. to that one and ripping that one out and getting it down to the few uh, that make the test. But then there's the ones that are accidentally found. Can you can you talk about some of those happy accidents? Sure. Uh, well, let me just talk about your first thing about you know breeders. A good, good and there are there's only about thirty major breeders in the in the world. Now there's lots of backyard breeders. Don't get me wrong, uh, but there's not a lot of breeders that are doing ornamentals including hydrangeas, et cetera. There's just a very few people. So the idea of what you're looking for, you know, <laughs> the breeders have to get their money out of this eventually. So sometimes if they don't quite get that beautiful, clear pink they want, maybe it's going to be a muddy pink, but it's better than what they've had. Uh, if the thing doesn't flower quite as much as they would like it to, you know, they might introduce it, but the difficulty with introducing too many things, hydrangeas being a perfect example, euchres being another example, echinacea being another example, is that if you introduce too many things and some of them aren't as good as they should be, uh, it, it reflects on the new stuff that might be better. So, you know, the trialing, which used to take, you know, nothing ever got into the marketplace. I'll say 20 years ago, what do I know, you know, but years ago, never got in the marketplace, at least three, four years of trialing. There's, today, it's, it's maybe a year, uh, and, and, and that's only because they have to. Uh, but that, 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 and I'm not dissing them. I'm not saying it's bad. That's just the way it is. But so the breeders and the big companies, everything is patented. I mean, everything. So, I mean, everything, every hydrangea, every euchre, you know, every lily, every monarda, every anything is patented so that the breeders can, you know, keep their investments safe. In other words, you cannot take a cutting and sell it. You can take a cutting and stick it in your garden. I mean, who cares? But, uh, well, actually, you're not supposed to, but everybody does. The, uh, the other, but the next, the other thing, so what that does is it's, it, it actually limits the number of, of plants that a breeder is going to work on. And you mentioned before, uh, you know, what's really new? Well, it's really hard to come up with anything really new because mm -hmm. the marketplace usually isn't ready for it. And therefore, the breeder is not going to spend a lot of time or money trying to find something really new, unless it's just somehow some crazy uh, spectacular thing like a, a original calipacore or something. Hmm. To, to, and again, just, just stop me, but to answer your second part, what about happy surprises? Well, I'm going to just give you two examples. 
that probably most of the listeners have heard of or know of. Uh, one of them is, was a verbena, and a verbena called Homestead Purple. Now, it's not as big. It only sells about 5 million today, where it used to sell 20 million. But it's probably, it was, it was, it was a, just a wonderful uh, example of what I call horticultural eyeballs. Uh, the people who found it said, hey, this looks really good. They knew their stuff. And they said, hey, let's try and bring it out and put it in the garden and see what people think. Uh, it became an instant seller all over the world. And for being a homestead purple, if you don't have it, get it. It's still one of the best and most reliable verbenas out there. The other one, and again, I mentioned this, uh, I mentioned a second one here, is uh, something that many, many people use as an annual. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's a sweet potato. Now, just ask yourself back when, who in the heck in their right mind would, would breed a sweet potato for ornamental purposes? Mm -hmm. The answer is nobody. But by good gosh, good golly, and good luck, um, a sweet potato was brought to, well, actually, not to me, but it doesn't matter, brought to this fellow. And it had, it was, it was part of a sweet potato research program in Louisiana. And uh, the lady who was a volunteer was a gardener. And she jumped into the dumpster to get this purple leaf sweet potato that was a lousy producer of the, of the, of the tuber, but was quite pretty. And she put it in her garden. It eventually, well, eventually got back to me. Uh, it was, you know, we, she said, well, well, let's call it Blackie. So we put it out there and let people look at it. And from Blackie, I received from, again, it's a, it's a cool story. All these are in the Naked Lady book, too. Uh, cool story is this guy said, gee, my grandmother has this crazy sweet potato that she's had for a while. It has chartreuse leaves. Now you want to try it? So I stuck it in the gardens. And, oh, my God, uh, Marguerite, that we call it Marguerite. Uh, and margarita sweet potato is is everywhere, and uh, and that was just happy and wonderful, uh, good luck, good golly, and but also people who knew what they were doing, and today from that verbena homestead purple, a ton of new verbenas have arisen from from those two sweet potatoes, Blackie and Margarita. I mean breeders, I mean real, honestly, goodness breeders uh, have come up with about a dozen new cultivars of sweet potatoes. So. To answer your question, sure, some of those things happen, but but they're few and far between because um, and getting getting fewer and and further uh, because the money is into the you know the the big the big ticket items. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that was a good point you made that uh, a lot of plant breeders aren't going to take a big chance on something completely new uh, to the market because they just don't know if it'll sell. So you know if there's something just bizarre or out there um it's it's that's hard to get across to the gardening public because i know a lot of us we have our spring annual shopping list and that might include homestead purple and a couple margarita sure. uh sweet potatoes and then we make a beeline to those plants and we leave the garden center <laughs> are we are we really looking at the new stuff yeah. um unless you see it in somebody else's garden or maybe you go to a public garden and you're like what's that yeah. so that's yeah, a great exactly. way to and hmm? and and you with with the washington dc with the publications you guys do you're gonna you're gonna sometimes show fabulous plants and you better make sure that these are available because there's nothing worse than these people clamoring to a garden center to see some great new plant in a magazine. <laughs> and there's like one of them in the entire world. Uh, and, and it's happened before, believe me. 
So I think that is also another thing that we have learned that uh, people, there, there's breeders will not introduce anything unless they, it's called seed in the bag, unless they have enough seed, if it's a seed item, or they have enough uh, propagules if it's a vegetative item. And, uh, but sometimes we get carried away, and especially people like us, oh, I'm going to show you this great new hellebore, and there, there aren't any. And, and of course, the garden centers are the ones that really have to stay on top of this because it's hard for them. And that's why you get good nurseries. And I, I just mentioned the Prendel Farm because I work with them. But there's a ton of great nurseries that, who grow these things. And the garden centers know who they are, and they just got to be sure that they're on top of their things. But it all comes down, like you said, Kathy, to solutions. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it really does. That's why we have plants in there that, that, that are successful. Yeah, and I can't even imagine the, the business behind supply and demand for living things like plants. Yeah. You just can't, you know, crank out a thousand more uh, little mini tomatoes, you know, <laughs> when they when they sell out that weekend. You're like, well, that's going to be another six or eight weeks. And by that Ooh, time, that season is over. It is a living thing, that's for sure. And, mm -hmm. and, all living, and, and being a living thing, we as gardeners have to have patience. You know, I, I, I tell the story many times of... Uh, you know, when something dies, I say my little prayer and then I say, okay, what else can I put in there? Um, and that's, that's, that's really, <laughs> that's really who we do. Uh, I, I really want to keep these things growing as long as I can because I love them and some of them mean something to me. But if unfortunately it passes away, there are a ton of more plants that I haven't tried yet. Yep. Just more room for something new. It is true. It is true. <laughs> that's a terrible way to approach it, but it is true. <laughs> yep. Well, and also uh, what we're looking for in new plants um, and we get excited about something and maybe it's not available, just gives you something to look forward yeah. to the, for the, yeah, for the next growing season. Cause we're, we're all foaming at the mouth for that one perfect, you know, hosta or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. And know, that does drive if, up the price. If, yep. if, if nothing else, where we put this whole gardening thing in perspective is it gives us something to look forward to. Uh, I mean, whether it's a seed you're putting in the ground and it's going to be a whatever, a tomato, or whether it's a sapling that's going to be a tree, or whether it's a bulb that's going to be a lily, it gives us something to look forward to. And how fortunate we are to have that in our in our in our love that uh, we can go out and always have something to look forward to. Lots of people do not. Very 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 fortunate there. So true. And one of the, the new plants I was looking at that were that was coming out of the Mance presentations was the new Delphinium oh, Delgenius yeah. series. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Alan, but I can't grow a Delphinium <laughs> to save my life. But there is so much being promised with these new Delgenius well, Delgenia series. I I am one of the people that I, hope, I, I guess I'm promoting it. I'm not promoting it, but I have seen it. So I've really seen the real thing. I've seen it in the July heat in Athens, hmm. Georgia. Wow. It is not a delphinium that you're going to see in Maine. It is not a delphinium you're going to see on the West Coast. That is, it is a lovely delphinium, but it's certainly not that great big, you know, wonderful delphiniums that are grown in England. But however, however the reason I'm excited, and, I, and I'm really afraid to promote it too heavily because it's brand new so while we talked about improvements this is definitely an improvement because it has some heat tolerance and there's been a lot of breeding of delphiniums the smaller delphiniums so those are the ones that are going to have the heat tolerance uh, but they really haven't panned out uh, now whether this one does or not i don't know but at least i can say 
I have seen it. I enjoy it. I have photos of it. And uh, it's certainly worth a try. So if your gardeners in the Mid-Atlantic can find Del Genius, and they may even, again, find it online, uh, as I mentioned, um, mm-hmm. give it a go. What do you got to lose? And because I can't, yeah. there's no, none of us can grow a delphinium to save our lives. I mean, forget about it. Not, not the old-fashioned ones from seed no. here in the heat and humidity. No. No. But yeah, this Del Genius series has me really excited, but it does still have a few years to be proven that oh. it will come oh. back every year for us, maybe. Um, well, but maybe treat it as annual. I'm going to know, you know, again, I don't, you know, you're in, you're in the DC mid-Atlantic or you're colder than we are, of course, but I mean, delphiniums have no problem with cold. That's, that's not the issue. So whether they go through, whether they can make it through the summer with enough energy to make it through the winter, that's the question. Uh, and so I'm going to know in a few weeks uh, here, whether they're going to come back or not. But, um, you know, even if they don't, it's, it, it's an improvement. Um, that, that that's 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 as much as I am really prepared to say, but I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to, to seeing how they do. Yeah, and that'll be exciting to hear. So, in some of the future of plants, um, we're talking about improvements. Um, maybe to the home gardener, it's not evident what the improvement is. But what are breeders looking for? They're looking for um, stems that stand up and are stronger, and face yeah. the flowers up capture the attention of the consumer okay let, let, let's put it in perspective somebody this morning asked me a question said i want the down and dirty i want to really know what's going on so let's put this breeding in perspective breeders are breeding plants for the ability to sell plants of course and they're not and i and i don't get me wrong here the gardener is extraordinarily important in the whole equation of of plants that that are sold but the most important person is is the box store and the huge the huge uh, garden centers uh and of course the landscapers who don't even see a retail price those are the people that are going to buy numbers of plants your neighbor is going to buy two or three maybe they're going to buy 20 different things they're still going to buy two or three of anything so it's the landscaper and and the, the box store that's buying the numbers, and those are the plants that the breeders are concentrating on. And I, I, again, we can we can come back for another podcast and really have a grand old time this whole breeding thing, and I'll probably get thrown out of here for, by the breeders. But having said that, the the gardener uh, is still you know going to be able to pick up great plants, but they're breeding for low maintenance. That's quite true. That's what they're breeding for. They're breeding for short and compact plants, whereas those big plants that used to be part of the garden, you had to stake them. Well, I enjoy staking some plants, but most people don't. So, and certainly the garden center or the retailer, the last thing they want on their shelf is a plant that's gonna fall over. So the breeding in general, if there is one thing I can tell you about breeding, it's all about low maintenance. And all of us want lower maintenance, but you know, if we're gardeners, we understand there's no such thing as no maintenance. Uh, so that that's so the the gardener's definitely um, de- definitely getting a better plant, but it's maybe just secondary because the landscaper has abandoned a better plant. Yeah, and there's also something to be said for having it in flower at the time the customer comes in. So oh, I I see a lot of breeding for. Remontant, I guess, is the yeah, term yeah. for reblooming and or longer-lasting blooms. Yeah. 
Well, and that, of course, that you know, don't get me wrong. The breeders are doing a fabulous job. They truly are. And 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 when I say that maybe the gardener isn't their first target, that doesn't mean they're not a important target. Uh, Vermont and flowering, especially on hydrangeas. That's been the big deal with hydrangeas. Uh, endless summer. Uh, I know. I know the entire history of endless summer, and it was just again a lucky find that it was a plant that was blooming in the summertime, or even later in the summer than it should have been. And so it was actually blooming on new wood as well as old wood. Um, but, you know, and, and certainly more persistent flowering is always wanted by anybody in the business, whether it's the garden center that it'll, it'll stay in flower longer at the garden center or stay in flower longer in the garden. So longer persistent flowering, and of course, disease resistance and all those other kind of things. They're all part of the breeding process. And if they are done well, we as gardeners, um, Right, we tend to benefit. Mm -hmm. So, so can I, let me just mention one last, I'll mention a couple of things. You can cut me off anytime. There's mm -hmm. a couple of other plants I want to draw your attention to when you're talking about breeding and what's new and is it just an improvement? So I know that crepe myrtles uh, have caught on in the DC area and the, the, in the mid-Atlantic and, you know, they were thought always to be a southern plant and they never went too far north, but, well, you know, crepe myrtles are trees or shrubs. Well, the newest breeding in crepe myrtles, that's out of Pennsylvania, are for essentially mm, crepe myrtles that may be knee high at very most. Uh, they're not; even, they're, they're they're almost to the point of a bedding plant, and and I love this thing because here's a plant that we have we can we can grow thirty foot trees, uh, we can crepe murder them, and you know we can cut them back and they still come back. But here's some breeding now that I can put in my garden and it's it's going to be essentially at best a small shrub uh, and it's going to flower like a crepe myrtle in the summertime with wonderful blooms. And I think this breeding, like this Delgenius, is not a new, not a new species, but it's certainly a, a, a new idea. And the last one I'm going to mention in breeding, and we can come back to this if you want, is I think most of you who are listening know but there was a huge problem with bedding impatience. Uh, bedding impatience, mm -hmm. I'll say five years ago, even certainly eight years ago, were the number one selling plant in the world, as far as, you know, from, from cuttings or from seed or planted by landscapers, because they were one of the very few plants that flowered all season in the shade. Most of our native plants that are shade tolerant tend to be spring. Um, but this was a plant that everybody could use. And of course, it didn't take any brains to see that they were used everywhere. Well, about, again, five years ago or maybe more, um, this disease called downy mildew started affecting them. And it was wiping out, it wiped out all of them, essentially wiped out the entire market. So those people who were breeding impatience, man, it was like, <laughs> it was like the travel industry. All of a sudden, they didn't have that, didn't have one. Uh, you know, and, and so the breeding, however, two years ago has come out with two, at least two, and maybe more, I, I'm not quite up to scratch as I should be, two groups of bedding impatience that are no longer downy mildew susceptible. That's huge because that's a plant that we all miss. And so I've had them in my garden. One is called Beacon. So if you're going out to your garden center, you're looking for bedding impatience and you've had this problem of downy mildew, Go for the Beacon series or one called Imara, I-M-A-R-A. -A. Both of those are downy mildew resistance or at least more 
downy mildew resistant than the old stuff. So those are two two uh, two examples, Kathy, of I think some really cool breeding that's going on uh, that not necessarily are reinventing the world, but certainly making improvements. Yeah, and that um, impatience improvement is so needed. It was so heartbreaking oh. not to have them as you know the backbone of some of the shade garden and containers and you're like what do i have left terrenia yeah. <laughs> i mean there really was no there's i mean there are lots of things we tried to uh mm-hmm. in, but nothing there's just nothing quite like it um so anyway no. they're right it, it's uh it's nice to see them back in exactly and i wanted to ask you and this is probably going to be the toughest question of our talk today Uh-oh. is um if you had a magic wand Uh-oh. and you could breed any plant today, what would it be? What would you, what would be that one or maybe a couple different mm-hmm. plants that you'd say, I've always wanted this? <laughs> well, I guess um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure if I can even answer it. I'll, 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 I'll tell you because I used, to, I used to be able to answer those questions really easily. You know, give me a, give me a smaller flock so it doesn't get mildew. Well, they've done it. Um, give me a, a lavender that I can grow even a little bit of heat, and a little bit of moisture. Well, they've done it. And I say they, whoever they are. Uh, so I, I guess I'm still waiting for things like, give me a lupin. I could do lupins like the English and get some heat tolerant. Or And this delphinium, maybe it's going to be as good as, as um, we hope it's going to be. Uh, and I think, give me, and I think we're getting, we're just getting close on some of these things. but. Give me a, a, you know, a woodland flocks, some native, my, my native floxes uh, that will flower for a longer period of time. Because mm-hmm. uh, I love my native stuff. Give me a bloodroot. I, I, I don't, there's, there's an example of nobody's going to be working on breeding bloodroot. I mean, just, it's just, there's no money in it. These things are, they're by nature, they come and they go. But give me, give me a bloodroot that, that flowers for a little bit longer period of time. Uh, uh, stuff like that. And I'll tell you one thing that did happen. One, I said, if you asked me this question two years ago, I would have said, give me a Spigelia, Indian pinks. Give me one that uh, I can, I can, you know, just get easily and I can get them in my garden. So it's not like I have to go to some native plant nursery and, and hope I can find one for $33. But now the Spigelia are on the marketplace. So I, I'm not answering your question as well as I like to and if i thought more about it i'm sure i'll come up with something when i leave you but those are some things that uh, oh yeah i think those are all great and the great point about the new spigelia i'm so excited that that's now going to be commonly available i heard from so many native plant growers and sellers over the years that how hard it is to propagate and it would sell out immediately and people were you know clamping it clamoring for that so yeah, that's going to be a great one to have now in in the um, regular garden center, yeah. <laughs> not just native specialty. Yeah, not and being able to propagate it and have it. I would say if I had a magic wand, what I would wish for, similar to you, um, in the lupines and the delphiniums, would be peonies yeah. that rebloomed all season. Gosh. I'm not going to ask for too much, right? No. I'm going to ask for a reblooming peony. And that stays evergreen <laughs> and oh, doesn't oh, get and doesn't get any of the, the well, powdery mildew. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I've almost kind of given up on peonies, but people keep saying, "No, no, this one's a good one." So I'm mm-hmm. going to try some again this summer. But I've, I'm like you. I boy, that that to me really needs improvement. Yeah, I don't see anybody working too much in the peony aside from the um, woody ones. 
yeah, uh, but in the herbaceous, yeah. Peony, peony market now is in is all about cut flowers. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, you know, it doesn't really matter if it gets little stuff on the leaves. Um, but uh, you know, we'll we'll the gardener will benefit eventually with that too. Yeah, that will look good too. So thank you so much for sharing all your plant experience, your wisdom, your your new favorites, and maybe a few stories about old favorites. Um, but let's tell our listeners you had a special offer for them. Well, Kathy, I think anybody who listens <laughs> to us and listens for this length of time deserves a bonus. <laughs> um, and again, I wish I was there. And, and I, I, I'm, I had some meeting. I had some talks in, in the D.C. area, but they've all fallen through, of course. Uh, but if you go to my website, alanarmitage.net, and you go to my books, and it's easy to find, and I've got a bunch of books on there, I think for those who are listening or if you're friends, uh, if you wish to order a book, there's a little place to put a code in uh, or a discount code. And if you put in Kathy for our famous Kathy that, uh, that we're all listening to here, uh, if you put in Kathy, I'll we'll give you free postage. And some of these books are quite heavy, so you're doing just fine. Thank you. But that's, yeah, that's a great book hundred books or whatever. So just uh, take advantage of that. It'll We'll keep it on for a little bit. But uh, I want to thank everybody, and especially you, Kathy, for uh, for putting up with me. Well, thank you. And just to spell it out for everybody who might be listening and not have a pen on, on them, uh, Kathy's with a K, ends with a Y, K-A-T-H-Y. Alan has two L's mm. and A, A-L-L-A-N, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E dot net, correct? Correct. All right. Well, thank you so much. And let's give another plug for your um, plant app. And so if you do uh, have your smartphone in your hand and you're listening to many listeners are listening on their podcast that way. Mm. um, So they would just go over to the app store and enter Armitage. Armitage is great garden plants. And I have to tell you, costs a fortune. It it costs you a ton of money. It costs you $4.99 forever. And I'm always upgrading it. I'm always updating it. I'm putting new photos, new cultivars, new this is and new that's. And I think that uh, if you, I mean, you're not going to regret your selling, you're you're spending $5 truly. But anyway, I thank you for the the little plug, but it's great. I I think so many people have this. Garden centers have it and the garden centers are listed on it. And now you're going to, it just got a ton of stuff on it. It's great fun. Great. And it's a great resource just to have in your pocket right there. Yeah. 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 I, I th- and it's, it's something I work on all the time. So, you know, and it's just something I think that people really appreciate having, having a little bit of a solution in your back pocket. Well, I'm going to check in with you in a few weeks to hear about those delphiniums coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we'll run into each other soon. Yeah. Um, post-COVID and a safe place at uh, another new plant um, showcase or event or trade show soon. Well, again, I can't wait to, uh, we'll do this again, I hope, and uh, uh, we shall be in touch. And everybody, if you ever get to beautiful Athens, Georgia, when the travel is good again, come see me. Great fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Your gardens may be dormant in winter, but local garden centers, nurseries, growers, and landscape designers don't take a break. They spend the start of the year attending the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show, also known as Mance. Normally this takes place in downtown Baltimore, but this year, of course, with COVID-19 happening, it's all virtual. While the show is only open to the horticultural trade, the garden media is allowed access and following my usual routine, even though we're not in person, I still sought out those quote unquote back rows of newest companies and small vendors. I wanna know what's new, what is coming on the market and what's maybe getting overlooked. So I attended several of the talks that were offered online by growers and breeders and wholesale companies. And I just wanna share a few of those uh, fun things that I came across. First was from Monrovia's 2021 Featured Plants Collection. They have a new series of ground cover roses called Nitty Gritty. And these are colorful, carefree shrubs that stay three to four feet and they have a fragrance. So one up on a lot of the other low maintenance ground cover roses that are currently on the market. Next Monrovia talked about a new Astilbe line that they're offering and one of them is very late blooming in the season so that you still have a range of Astilbe going over several weeks so I'm really excited about that one. Next is a Centauria and this is an annual for the Mid-Atlantic area and it's called Snowy Owl. And the purpose of this plant is not for the blooms, but for the really silvery fuzzy foliage. So it's kind of a, a short compact background plant for, I can see for beddings and containers. Next uh, in their annuals for our area are Stand Up Fuchsia. And just like the name sounds, this is a fuchsia that's not meant for in a hanging basket to drape over, but maybe to be in a container or as a bedding plant that stands up. So again, a lot of excitement over that. And then finally in their perennial offerings, they're offering Sky Series Daylilies. And Sky is with an E at the end, so S-K-Y-E. And this is a new series of really gorgeous uh, reblooming daylilies. Again, low maintenance, um, so should be a really fun plant to add to our garden mixes. Next, I um, sat in on a presentation by Botanical Interests on their new catalog offering. So they're a seed catalog based in um, Colorado and a lot of great things coming out of there. One thing that caught my eye was the radish rat's tail. Now that's an interesting name, right? And that refers not to the radish itself, uh, the underground plant, but for the pods, the seed pods, it's going to create once it goes to flower and set seeds. And so they're marketing it to grow the seed pod, which I think is really interesting. And they're describing it as crisp with a hint of spiciness, um, delicious, fresh cooked or pickled. And last year I grew radish and let them go to seed and harvested the seed pods. And I have to say that they are really great in a thrown into a salad or a stir fry. So I highly recommend that radish rat's tail for trying that out this year. Another talk I attended was with Raymond Evison, a famous clematis breeder, and he is based on the Isle of Guernsey, um, not far from the shores of France, um, but still in the UK. 
and he has some wonderful clematis that he is offering. Um, I can't single out one single one. I want them all. <laughs> and uh, he, um, his breeding program aims to make them a, a lot of them to be more compact and easier and less vining habit. So they lend themselves more to city or urban growers or small space growers. So I think that's a great thing to have and still have those big, beautiful blooms. Um, one of my favorite talks that I sat in on was by the renowned designer and plantsman Pete Odof, and he spoke about uh, Panicum Brigatum Purple Tears. So this is a sport of Panicum Shenandoah that popped up in his garden, and he noticed that one of his Panicums had these really pale purple flowers at the top and was compact and showy and so he selected that out and they've been propagating it and now it's going to be introduced to the market through Hoffman Nursery in the Carolinas and that's Purple Tears so I'm really looking forward to adding that to my purple theme garden in the back. Um, next was Dr. Michael Durr, and I'd never miss any talk that he offered that I could possibly get to. And Dr. Durr spoke a lot about um, two hydrangeas that he's super excited about, and he doesn't get excited about many plants, so if it meets his test, it meets my test. And those are Azure Skies and Rock and Roll, and these are compact, deep blue flowering um, hydrangeas, and of course they are in the re-blooming or remontant kind of hydrangeas that are hitting the market now. Another talk I attended was with Dr. Doug Tallamy. Um, he didn't recommend any specific plants, but he did talk a great deal about, of course, um, using more natives um, in your landscape. And he recommended a 70% to 30% mix, meaning if you can get 70% of your landscape to be native um, a fault fauna and flora, then you're ahead of the game. And if 30% are um, just ornamental, then he's totally fine with that. But he said 70% was all you need to create a great habitat in your garden. Uh, next was Pat Fitzgerald out of Ireland talking about Carex Marawai Evercolor and Everglow is a selection he was talking about um, specifically. I love the Carex Evercolor series. This is almost like um, Japanese Hakanakloa or Japanese forest grass, but it's a Carex instead of a forest grass, and it keeps this really cool, bright chartreuse color. Some of them almost tend to be more orangey, and it's just a great little spotlight plant to add to the edge of a container or to the edge of a bed. I have mine that I'm trialing now in deep shade, and they're still keeping their beautiful color. So really excited about that um, Evercolor series of Carex. And then Tim Wood of Spring Meadows, also discussed some new hydrangeas that he's trialing and bringing to market. And there's several that look really promising for being long blooming and of course, again, re-blooming hydrangeas that are on the market. So a lot of great things to be looking out for coming out of the show. In the non-plant categories, uh, there's a new tool called C Bite. So C, just like the letter C, dash bite b-i-t-e and this is like a trellis system that you clip together to form different shapes so they kind of um described it as a, an adult tinker toys so if you can imagine if you will um different plant poles 
connected with these sea bites so that you could make a tall trellis, you could make a triangular form, you could do a cage around tomatoes, you can expand the cage over the season by changing out the bites and changing out the poles and switching them and making them um, larger or smaller as the plant grows larger or goes down in size maybe at the end of the season. So I thought it was a really cool adjustable system um, because many of us, of course, are always struggling with some of our vines and some of our tomato plants and even peppers that tend to get top heavy um, needing a great support system. And then uh, another product was from the Whole Gardener and that's W-H-O-L-E, Whole Gardener. And that's a customizable fertilizer series. So sounds complicated, but if you are into it and you want to have complete control of what your plants outdoors and indoors receive as far as nutrients, this is a really interesting system. So you buy the individual components, the nitrogen, phosphorus, etc., And then he gives you a recipe book. So then you are going to mix for each plant its own custom recipe for the additives and nutrients. So again, this is not for um, maybe the hobby gardener, maybe for people who are more serious, but I guess if you're really into certain types of plants um, and really get obsessed with proper nutrients and proper micronutrients, this um, system might be for you. So that's called the whole gardener. Well, that's about all I can recall. It was like a three days of just being fed this giant funnel of plant and gardening and landscape um, wonderfulness. So I'm going to be digesting a lot of it and sharing it in the Washington Gardener magazine over coming weeks and in the Mid-Atlantic Grower newspaper. I'll be giving my impressions of how the virtual show went and asking some of the exhibitors how business was for them moving to a virtual format. So check out those publications when they come out in a few months and happy gardening. Profile River Birch, Betula nigra. River Birch is a fast growing tree that is a good choice for home landscapes. It is popularly known for its attractive peeling bark and multi stem growth habit. It is known alternatively as water birch or red birch. It looks similar to paper birch, Betula paperifera, but river birch is more heat tolerant, while paper birch has a purer white bark color. River birch is native to the eastern United States and hardy from zones 4 through 9. It can grow up to 70 feet tall, but there are dwarf varieties available. These include Summer Cascade, Fox Valley, and Shiloh Splash. Look at local garden centers and nurseries for Heritage, which is more tolerant of heat than the straight species. This cultivar was named the Urban Tree of the Year in 2002 by the Society of Municipal Arborists planted in spring or fall in a full sun location. River birch prefers moist soils, as the common name would indicate. Be sure to give it extra water during any drought periods. It tolerates most any kind of soil and likes a heavy mulching over its root zone, but not actually touching the tree's bark. There is no need to fertilize river birch. If you must prune it, 
do so after August as early season pruning can cause a sap to run from its wounds. River birch, you can grow that. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy dash gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You can find Washington Gardener online at washingtongardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.